Well, hey, friends, and welcome to the Becoming Better podcast. I'm your host, Brendan Krismer, and I'm so glad you're here. Well, on today's episode, Jason, Josh, and I sit down and we discuss optimism versus pessimism, the idolatry of money, and how to move from obligatory giving to eager generosity. As always, if you ever have any questions from Sunday's message, we do encourage you to uh, join us at quadcity.church slash podcast, where you could submit your questions to be answered right here on the show. If you do have a question, be sure to get it submitted either Sunday evening or first thing Monday morning before about 9 a.m. so we can get to it before we start recording. And last but not least, before we dive into today's episode, be sure on Friday to scan the QR code in your Excel booklet or just go to the resource page on the Excel website, excel.quadcity.church to see our Friday Devos will be dropping every week of this series. This week, Josh will be sharing about a five or six minute Devo about this week's study and you're not going to want to miss it. Well, thanks again for joining us today. And without further ado, we hope you enjoy this episode. Hey guys, happy Monday. Guess who's back? It's Monday. Here we go. I thought you were going to keep going. No, I, thought, I thought so too. Well, where are we going with that? Little Eminem. Yeah. All of our Gen Xers. Yeah. Exactly what you were doing. Yes. Marshall Mathers, Slim Shady. <laughs> hey, I thought this, uh, in light of the beginning of your message, this might be a fun place to start. Josh, would you con- consider yourself a, a glass half empty sort of person or a glass half full por- sort of person? I'm definitely a glass half full kind of guy. You're an optimist. I am an optimist for sure. I try to believe the best. I am not a killjoy. I am a I am a believer in dreams. Yeah. In fact, yesterday, like literally driving home, a buddy of mine texted me. He's a pastor of a church. Um, he was mentioning they're about to extend an offer to a worship guy. Nice. It was really cool, cool situation. But anyways, I was like, so how how do you feel? He goes, I'm hopeful he'll take it. And I was like, I'm hopeful with you then. Like, <laughs> like I was like, I'm right there with you, bud, you know. Yeah. And in my mind, I was like, Jason would have been like, oh, he probably won't take it. He don't like you guys. <laughs> like, just would have killed the dream. <laughs> All right. I feel like we do need to set it up for somebody who might have missed the sermon. So, Which you don't context- have to because you can now just look right above this podcast and find That's true. the weekly sermon. That is true. The, the, the context of this little... Uh, rant here is I did confess yesterday that I am not a hype man. I don't just get excited about stuff. I am a killjoy. And so I always see the worst part of everything coming three miles away. So that's just part of my makeup. So uh, Josh is not that. So that's why nope. we we need we need to have some Joshes on the team and yeah, into our sure. life. So I don't think anybody was surprised. What do you no. think? Brendan? No, nobody who knows me. It was for laughter sure. of like, <laughs> yep, <laughs> get it. Yeah, it, it's funny too because I'm not uh, especially I, like I'm a gray area sort of person. Like I like to sit in the middle of a lot of things and kind of wrestle the back and forth, and I, I don't usually take a hard stance. Though one thing I do recognize about like optimism versus pessimism is if 
someone swings to one side of the spectrum, I feel like it's my job, like my duty to challenge that side of the spectrum. So when Jason's being overly pessimistic, I find realistic. It, Can we call it realistic? Well, it's not always realistic though. Oh, come on. I do find it like my job to be the one that's like, no, that's not, that's not necessarily where we need to be. But on the flip side, if someone's like way too positive, hundred percent, I will always question that. And I will try to find some sort of middle ground of what, what I would consider as realism is probably somewhere right in the middle. Uh, so I don't, I don't think I find myself swinging too far to either direction often. Have you always been this way? Do you think? I don't like know. as a kid, were you like, oh, my team's going to lose. They're not winning. Or were you believing like, oh, we're going to hit that shot and win this game. We've got, I got hope. I, I don't know. I, I can't remember things from 24 hours ago. So oh, yeah. remembering back to my mental state when I was 12 is not, I don't know. Now, I was, I've probably always leaned um, more cynical. My, yeah, so probably always lean a little more cynical. Hmm. Interesting. That's yeah. interesting. And you've yeah. always been a little more positive. Yeah, I think so. Generally speaking. I would think. Yeah. I would say, yeah, just generally. Um I and you know, I try to I'm not like a crazy. Like there are some people, even with on our team, that everything's always great and good yeah. and hopeful and happy. I'm not there. I'm a realist that sometimes life is terrible. But I also within the midst of that can find some good out of even the most difficult things. And I can find some bad. <laughs> and you can find the bad That's out of funny. good. There's this recent term I've heard thrown around a bunch of times in the last like year or two, um, toxic positivity. Have you ever met someone that falls into that category? Have you guys heard that term at all? No, I haven't. I need mean, a full definition. No. Okay. So I'm sure we could find a full definition here. Or just, just gonna give you how do they describe it? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like everything's always positive, even when things are going very poorly. But we're still saying that's a really good thing, and it's it's like this I don't level like of that. everything always has to stay positive because we can't cope with the reality that we're actually existing within. Oh no, that's terrible. Have you met someone like that before? I've got a couple of people in mind that I've interacted with that that kind of fall into something similar. Are they on our team? No. <laughs> no, no one on our team. No, I, yeah, I don't know if I've met someone who cannot. I don't know. That's a good question. It drives me insane. And this is a total tangent because it's like we're going to ignore reality for a moment and just say things are great. Like Maui's on fire, but everything's awesome. Like we're good. And it's like, no, that's really bad. It's terrible. It's a really bad thing that's happening. <laughs> terrible. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like a, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't matter. It would bother me though. Yeah, for sure. I, because again, like sometimes you just have to be. You got to call a spade a spade, right? You know. So part of where this came out of was, you know, we're we're entering this season of of Excel, right? And there are there there are such amazing opportunities that stand in front of us. And Josh and I talked about this a little bit backstage of there are some pastors that I've known and listened to, and they hype up everything. Like the next series is the greatest series, and the next event is the best event, and this Sunday is going to change your life. And everything, it's compounding greatness on top of greatness, and they just hype up everything. And so, you know, the reason I brought that up on Sunday was. Again, I hope that people who've been around here for a little while 
recognize. I'm not a hype man. I don't stand up and tell you this is the best thing ever. And if you, I just don't do that. But this opportunity that sits in front of us right now, I do believe there is such, it is such a great opportunity that even a pessimist like me has to admit, man, we have such an opportunity to make a difference for a really long time. And I just hope people engage and hear that. So, uh, this is one of those times where it's like, okay, when the person who doesn't do hype, hype something, I would hope that it would actually suck people in and say, oh, well, this may be actually something we ought to think through. Yeah. So in your, let's go back to this, sorry. So in your your marriages, are would you say you're the opposites? Or you all are very similar with okay, your spouse? You s- just that we're not on video, but you were looking directly at me when you said marriages. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, I've only had one. There's marriage. you and Brendan in okay. the room yeah, with yeah. me. Yeah. Okay. They, like, they know there's two other people. Because <laughs> Diana is probably more of a pessimist. For yeah. sure. Like she is, everything's always, it's always going to fall apart. Yeah. Uh, the whole, the shoe's always going to drop. Yeah. Like she called me today, literally. I got, a, oh, I got a message. Judah was marked absent. Did he not get on the bus? I was like, I'm pretty sure he was on the bus. She's like, okay, I'm going to call the school. Is he okay? I'm like, yeah, he's fine. She called. Bus was late. He just didn't get there yet. Yeah. But like in her mind, I'm sure it went to like full on panic mode. Yeah. That it's all terrible. And I was like, ah, you know, I thought I was like, he's probably like outside playing basketball still and just didn't go inside. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I would say my wife is. Uh, yeah, she's better than me. So she doesn't think the worst of everything like I do. But I would say that I have definitely corrupted her over our 25 years. Yeah. <laughs> it's, inter- she- it's interesting that you just turned it into a, like a positive negative value. Did you subconsciously do that? Or was that intentional? I don't know. I, don't know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I have broken her for sure over the years. That's really funny. <laughs> Oh, oh man! All right. Oh gosh. <laughs> well, hey, let's jump Ooh. into uh, to the message from Sunday here, uh, week two in Excel. Which, again, uh, to your point, Jason, this is an exciting series, leading us into what I think is going to be a really exciting season of personal uh, growth, our own discipleship, but also you know uh, future growth of the kingdom of God through the initiative. So. Uh, this week, we really drove home this idea of, um, right, excelling in our eagerness to give. And you had a bunch of great lines and a couple of uh, really, you know, driving topics. The primary one, though, being just, hey, we're eager to give because Christ gave it all. Yeah. And that's really where we camped out the bulk yeah. of our time. In But there were a couple of lines that maybe uh, I wanted to hit on. And let you expand upon just a little bit. Um, but then also, maybe just one quick uh, uh, note here. We had zero questions come in from Sunday. So if you're listening right now and you had a question and you didn't send it in, do that next time. Send your questions in. Anything. Just, just anything. Stuff to talk about. It's just, really nice. Just anything. And it's right on topic. So there yep. we go. Uh, never hesitate. Quadcity.church slash podcast or just text in to the number on the screen that you see on Sunday morning. Uh, but these couple of lines really stood out to me. First one was this, um, and I want you to maybe spend a little bit more time than you had on Sunday to flesh this out. But this idea that um, 
mandatory giving or or uh, uh, yeah, mandatory giving or obligatory giving is counterfeit generosity. Would you talk a little bit more about that and kind of the state of the heart that you were talking about there? Well, that was your line, so don't don't pass that off. That was a great line that came actually um, from Brendan. It was help helped clarify the idea of you can't force someone to give. And we'll actually talk about this a little bit more next week. And so we didn't spend much time on it this week because we're going to, he, he hits it so much yeah. uh, in the next couple of uh, verses. But the idea being, look, if someone makes you give, if you are mandated or obligated to give something up, it can't, it can't by definition then be generosity. It's like, Nobody is generous with their taxes. That's not generosity. It is mandated where you are giving something from you to the government. You don't do that. Uh, it, it doesn't come from generosity. It comes from an obligation. Generosity, by definition, goes above and beyond an obligation. And one of the things that I was trying to to touch on, and, and Brendan, you were trying to help me to clarify, is this mandated giving cannot give a proper perspective of a person's heart. Like if you have your wages garnished for the sake of your kids, but even if you want to, you say, yeah, I want to give that money, but my wages are garnished to take that money out. Then it does. You don't know on the other side of that, that, transaction, whether that money given to the kids is coming from a heart of generosity or if it was just taken because it was mandated. And so if if I don't have to have my wages garnished or if my wages aren't garnished and I walk in and say to my ex-spouse, here's 500000 I'm sorry, $500 or $1,000 for the kids for this month, you know it's coming from a place of generosity. But when it gets garnished, you don't know. Was it because they wanted it to happen, or was it that it just had to happen? Is that generosity or just responsibility? Well, the point is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's 500 beyond what was required. There you go. There you go. That's probably better. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. It has to be. something for your ex, because your cars broke down. Right. And you're like, hey, yeah. my kids need this. That's right. I have it. I want to yeah. be generous. So, yeah. that's the point. It has to be above and beyond whatever obligation there is for it to be generosity and mandated giving cannot reflect generosity because by definition, it has to go above and beyond an obligation. So, yeah, um, that, that's funny. So a couple of, I've got two thoughts on this. One is a conversation you and I had recently with someone who asked us a question about us on the church team. Yeah. Can, can we talk about that? Sure. So we got this really interesting question the other day, Jason and I, which was, hey, for those of you on staff, like pastoral staff, do you have your tithe? Do you have 10% of your income like automatically set to, to give to the general fund? And it was a really interesting question from someone outside of church ministry and outside of our so team. Do this. There, well, and that was what I said is, oh, I know, I, I know of prominent churches in our state that do this exactly. And it's mandatory for all of their staff to set that aside when they're hired. It's a part of their hiring process. And I think Jason and I both kind of had the same instinctual response, which is, no, we don't do that because of this exact reason, right? We right. do want this to be an intentional 
choice. And though we do have the conversation with everyone on our team that that this isn't a leadership expectation is to, right, we're never going to ask someone to do something that we're not willing to do ourselves. So we're going to be doing this as a team. Um, but I think this is the answer to that question. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, because mandatory giving, making it just a an automatic thing that happens and you have no choice over, I think it does reveal that your heart is not as generous as maybe you would think it is, right? Because it's just happening rather than being an intentional decision. The other, here, here, yeah, let, me, let me back up and say, but it could be. Mm-hmm. In other words, um, think about the person who goes to that church and they've always given, they've always tied 10%. And it is for them a part of the joy, but now you've taken it out of that person's hand and it gets just taken from their check. Yeah, And so, that happens for one staff person. The other staff person has never done it, but now they have to because the church just takes it. And both of those are giving 10% to the church. And the person who is on the other end of that, who's receiving, seeing both of those donations coming into the church, it can't reflect a heart of generosity. That person doesn't know. Yeah. Is it generous or not? Well, for one, it is, because they would have done it whether it was taken or not. Sure. For the other one, it's not, because they they only do it because it was taken. And so that was part of the, the point I was trying to make yesterday is to say, if it's mandated or obligated, you can't, you there's no way to know if it's coming from a place of generosity. Yeah. So, and that leads into my second thought just on this that I hadn't really thought about all that much before, but there are... Um, Right. So there a clear delineation. There are religions, there are whole uh, subsects of Christianity and other belief systems and worldviews in which your giving earns you all sorts of stuff. Yeah. It earns you the right for different um, uh, religious practices, being able to enter into religious spaces. It earns you all sorts of things. And we don't have that. Like, there's nothing that we would say, man, if you give, you're going to be in this uh, exclusive club of people that get to do this thing. However, I don't think that means that people don't still feel like they're giving out of a place of obligation. Like, I imagine there's a lot of people who do give, but it doesn't, like, they don't feel eager to do that. They feel reluctant to Mm -hmm. do that. And I know we'll get into that a little bit more Mm -hmm. throughout the course of the series. So I guess my big question on that is like, for someone that falls into that shoe, those shoes where no one's making them give, but they do feel an obligation to give. It's not joyful. It's not something they're eager to do. How do we move from that place of obligation into a space of being eager to be generous? So let me, let me start by saying I'm not convinced that a sense of obligation in and of itself is necessarily a bad thing. So I think, you know, one of the things that we talked about is there are lots of verses all over Scripture that talk about giving. And and one of the things that, that hit the cutting room floor on this sermon was the fact that Paul has already addressed giving with this church in, in Corinth. So this gives me a, just a minute to... to I think it's helpful because when you said yesterday, there's a lot of Bible verses that talk about giving and that it is, it is the command word may be you weird in the new Testament, but I still feel like it's, it is the obligation that we're to give to the church. So 
I think it would be helpful for people. So if we go back um, to the the letter of First Corinthians, so we've been camping out in Second Corinthians, but I want to back up to First Corinthians. So I think part of why Paul can say in this specific instance where he's talking about this initiative that he's doing here in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, that part of why he can say, I'm not commanding you for this specific generosity initiative, it's because he's already addressed this issue with this church in the letter of 1 Corinthians. So let's back up to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul addresses... um, the expectation that those in the church would actually be giving toward the work of the kingdom through those who are doing the work of the kingdom in their midst. And so we have uh, we have Paul actually fighting a little bit with the Corinthians over this idea. So let's pick it up in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 3. It says, this is my de- defense to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? In other words, that you guys would provide us our necessary uh, intake of food and drink? Don't we have the right of a believing wife to take a believing wife along with us as the other apostles do, uh, like the Lord's brother and Cephas? Or is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right not to work for a living? So Paul recognizes, hey, if you're in the ministry, the ministry is your work. Verse 7, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? And the answer is none. If you serve as a uh, soldier, you expect that the government is going to write you a check that comes from the taxes given by the people who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes. In other words, if you are the farmer and you're putting in the work, you get pay, you get to enjoy the fruits of that work. Who tends a flock and does not drink the milk? Do I say this from a merely human authority? Doesn't the law say the same thing? Law being capital L, talking about the Old Testament. For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Is it about, Paul writes, is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us. Because whoever plows and threshes should be able, I'm sorry, should be able to do so in hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much to reap a material harvest from you? If others have the right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? So Paul is talking about this idea that those who do the ministry of the of God in a local context should, from that local context, receive their compensation. He continues, don't you know, verse 13, that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in what's offered on the altar. In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. So there is our word command, that the Lord has commanded those. So as pastors, what he's pointing to here is that we should receive our living from those that we are ministering to. So that's the expectation there. 
And so Paul's already addressed that need in the letter of 1 Corinthians, which is why I don't think he brings it up in 2 Corinthians. And I think what he's talking about in 2 Corinthians is he's inviting them into something more than just that. Like that is a command and they should be doing that. But but what he's inviting them to in 2 Corinthians is even, even greater and that he makes it clear in that instance, it's not a command, but I am inviting you into something even greater than that. So there are lots of verses. And again, I don't want to, I don't, I don't think it's helpful just to put a percentage to it. I think, as we've talked about before, and I've said many, many times, I think the the tithe for the Christian, I think that's the baseline. I think that ought to be the, I think that ought to be the starting point, not the ending point. But again, I don't want to get into all that kind of debate. The bigger issue is there is an expectation that we should be eager to give to the work of God. We should be eager to send out missionaries and supply them. We should be eager to help churches get planted in places where it's going. We should be eager to leverage our resources for the sake of the kingdom. So there are lots of verses you can look at that point to commands, um, but that's not what we're going in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Yeah, that's really good. I guess what I was wrestling with is like, how do we, how do we grow in our eagerness? Right. Yeah. Like that's the big question coming out of Sunday for me is we talked about why we should be eager, right? We should be eager to give because Christ gave it all for us. Yeah. But how do we actually move like pr- just practically like yeah. we're just to get into application? How do we move from a place of feeling like it's less, uh, less a desire of ours into, man, I want to do this. I'm honored to be a part of this thing. I think the, the, the biggest mm, way that we're going to move toward eagerness is just to have it, it. It all comes down to a change of heart. I think it's going to come down to us having a reality check of what a difference these resources can make for the kingdom. And the more that we surrender to him, the more that we actually put the needs of other people first, put our needs second, the more eager we're going to be to give. I, I always go back to, and I actually shared this at our discipleship group this last week. I think I keep coming back to, do you remember the end of the movie of Schindler's List? The very last scene. Anybody? No? No. No? Neither one of you have seen Schindler's List? No, I didn't watch it. We didn't watch it. It was, it was sad. Terrible. <laughs> yes, it's sad. It yeah. was the Holocaust. Yeah. But you the- know my movie choices. <laughs> I don't want to be sad, Jason. <laughs> okay. You need to go see this movie. Okay. It is a powerful, powerful movie. Obviously, it's about this guy who who sets up these factories, and he he literally is using his resources to to purchase Jewish people to save them, and he employs them in his factory to make like dummy bombs. Like they never work, but he's not doing it to aid the war effort. He's doing it just to save their lives. So he's buying these people up, and he's leveraging all of his resources. And at the end of the movie, he's he's walking out and he's like, my goodness, he looks down, he sees his watch and says, oh, I could have, if I could have just sold this watch and bought one more life. I could have sold this car and 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 saved three more lives. Like there's this, at the end, he's he gets to the place where he recognizes all of this stuff that I have that I thought was important isn't important. What was important were these lives, and I could have leveraged all of these for the sake of other people, 
even after all the generosity that he did his whole life saving people, he gets to the end and everything he begins to look at and said, I wasted, oh, this watch could have saved a life. I could have bought another person. And so I think all of us are going to get there one day. I'm certain of it. We're going to get to the place where we're going to be on our deathbed. And I've seen it in the last few weeks twice where none of the stuff that we're hanging on to matters at all. And we're going to get to the place where it's like, oh man, I could have leveraged that. I could have used that. I could have, that could have made a difference in somebody's life. And I hung on to it. And what good is it to me now? And so I think having the mindset, a kingdom mindset, that what happens in eternity matters so much more than what's going on in my life now, that's where the shift to eager generosity is going to come from. Yeah. And I just think if you want to fast track that process, right? There's no better, I don't think there's any better way to do that than to be engaged in the thing that you're giving to, right? Like to be actively participating in the thing. If, you, if you're giving towards making more and better disciples, like if you're giving to our church to go do more of that, be engaged in some of the ways that we're doing that. Like start to experience the impact of what you're giving towards. Uh, you know, missions is a great, outreach is a great example of this, Right. You know, I can watch a video about meal pack and see of all the cool things that we were able to do through that experience, or I can go do it and actually experience it for myself. And as we start to have some of those transformative experiences, as we are able to bring our neighbor to Christ and baptize them, like we're just going to buy in all the more, which is going to make us excited and eager to move that mission down down the field a little bit more. So that was the only thing I could come up with. It's like, hey, how do we practice, like actually put this thing into practice and and start trying to generate the desire to give more. And it's like, man, the times I find myself eager to be the most generous is when I know the impact that I'm having because I've been there, mm. right? I think Leah's story is so powerful of her foster care journey. And again, I can resonate with that because we, we've been there. Mm-hmm. We've experienced that. Now I'm always eager to give to people who are in, in need jumping into foster care who have a couple of kids coming to their house the next day and, and they need some stuff. I'm, I, again, we're, we're Courtney and I want to be the people that step in because we know the impact that stuff has. And if you don't, if you don't feel a desire to be generous, then I think like just try to engage in a couple of areas you really care about. And that might help motivate you all the more. Yeah. It does point us back to what Jesus said, right? Where our treasure is there, our heart will be like, when I start giving my finances in any area, it will get my heart. If you go and you give your money to a season ticket, that's that team is going to get your heart. You're going to care about it. You're going to want to invest. You're going to be there. You're going to show up. You're going to cheer. You're going to do the thing. If you give your money into Apple stock, it's going to get your heart. You're going to wake up every day looking at that ticker tape. You want to know how it's doing. It gets your heart. Whether it's whether it's uh, a second home, you're funneling money to the lake house, it will get your heart. Or a boat, you're going to go to, it gets your heart. You're going to love that thing. So where our money goes, our heart follows. That's just the way it goes. And so to your point, if I start giving my money into foster care environments, it will get my heart. I will care about those moments. I want to see those dollars get resourced into a way that's going to help those kids. I went to a fundraiser this week for the Boys and Girls Club. There were a lot of people gave a lot of money 
that thing will get their heart. As they give their money to that organization, they will begin to care about that organization. They want to see that organization thrive. Like that's what happens. Our heart follows our money. And so to your point, if you're giving your money into the church and the mission of the kingdom, it will get your heart. If we're giving our money to the work of God, that work of God will get our heart. Uh, We've had missionaries that have gone out from here and you're supporting them. All of a sudden, you care about what's going on in that missionary's life more than you ever did before you invested financially. So that's why I say there. I'm not. I'm not afraid to have people start their giving out of an obligation. Like I, sh- I should be doing this, and so it should start out of an obligation. I'm not okay. I'm not afraid of that because I know that when you're giving, even if it's out of obligation at first, your heart will follow, and you will begin to care about what's happening with those resources and those dollars, and you'll pray more, and you'll write more, and you'll ask more, you'll investigate, you'll invest more because you want to see that thing that you're invested in succeed. I was just going to say, so last week I had a really practical way that that happened. I had a guy come in my office um, and he was talking about mission work that he has supported. It sounded like for the past 25 plus years, upper 80s now, um, and like three or four times. So he's supporting started like support one kid in Kenya and then it became multiple kids and it became this whole family. And then he's like, we got to build a school and man, we got to help build a hospital. And multiple times during the thing, like he got choked up and had to stop. Mm-hmm. And I, I, we left the conversation and I went and I just told him, thank you for sharing, reminding me of the power that the people of God have to invest in the lives of other people. And how it doesn't just change their life, but it changes our life. Mm. And that's what he was like living proof. It was such a great conversation. And just a reminder of exactly what you're saying. I clearly knew where his heart was. Like one conversation, I had never met him before. And I went, oh, this is a guy who believes in what God has given him. And he's being responsible and using it every way he can to help the lives of others. Yeah. One conversation, that's all it took. You know, you could clearly see his heart. And so I think that's true, hopefully for all of us, yeah. is that the passion we have for the local church, like you said yesterday, I really do believe the power of the local church to change people's lives um, and the way in which we collectively get to give, yeah. right? Like my dollars alone are not great by themselves. I mean, but the power that we have collectively to yeah. give into our community yep. is incredible. That's why we encourage you to give to the local church and be a part of a local church mm-hmm. um, and, and have those resources pulled together to then go and do things that, again, those videos from last Christmas, like to see the look on those organizations' faces. I, I could have done that by myself, right. but the power together to give someone a check for 20 grand that's life-changing for a ministry, you know? And we have that power to do that in a church. And so, yeah, I'm with you. I think if it maybe starts as obligation, I think it gets there really fast. Yeah, for sure. And again, we just got to keep telling more stories like Aaliyah. Yeah. Like Aaliyah Williams and that, that it was the church that came alongside her and helped that become a possibility, Yeah, you know? Um, so... That's, I think, what kind of Excel is. That's why these stories we've been trying to share to go, hey, this is what generosity actually does. Yep. 
Like it changes forever. Now those four kids' lives are different, yep. right? They went into a home of a now mom who loves Jesus. And regardless of whatever their history is, they now all four have a relationship with Jesus. Yep. That matters way more. And so again, all those people who gave didn't know that was going to be the end because that's not always the end. Right. <laughs> you know? And so now, again, if you would ask them 20, you know, however long ago that was, hey, if you knew that was going to happen, well, yeah, of course I would give. Like that's part of some of this. Hey, we're believing that God is going to send a whole bunch of people, right? And maybe my pessimist of Jason, what if it doesn't work? I, I don't care, maybe it doesn't work, but I'm still just going to believe. I'm going to believe that God is going to use this to impact the kingdom of God in ways that I'm not even going to understand. So I'm, I understand the vision and heart behind it. Yeah. Yeah. There's uh, just piggybacking a little bit, Jason, off what you were talking about, right? This idea that even if it starts as obligation, if you are giving to a thing, you're going to care about that thing. There's a a relationship between that idea and uh, what's the best way? And I don't want to get too deep into sacrificial giving yet because we're going to talk a lot more about, right, what that looks like in the life of a believer. But there is this idea, this notion, right, that I can give uh, nominally to a thing, mm-hmm. marginally to a thing, and literally not care a little bit. Right. We we all see examples. I mean, I look at Boys and Girls Club fundraisers. Yeah. If I'm giving 20 bucks to the Boys and Girls Club, I'm not even feeling or remembering that every right. month. And at that point, there is no motivation for me to care about that thing because I don't even, I hardly know. There's, In fact, if you don't mind me sharing, there's a funny thing where uh, we were talking last week, Kelly was given to a thing that you didn't even know about. Right. Because, it, But because it wasn't a sacrificial uh, offering, like you didn't know about it, you didn't care about the thing because you didn't know about it. Right. So I do think there is some relationship to, man, if we want to go from a, an obligation to like really being generous, there ha- there is some relationship to giving sacrificially mm-hmm. and actually feeling what we're giving. And And again, I think there's a whole generosity philosophy intertangled in all of that but but i think the reason many of us don't get there is because we we wait for our heart to be there and then we say we'll give our money there like yeah 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 so we're waiting for me to get this feeling about the boys and girls club or for the whatever the thing is and once i have this heart feeling toward it then i'll start giving to it and again that's counterintuitive to what scripture teaches. It yeah. says, no, no, no. As your money goes to it, your heart will go to it. So if you really want to be a person who cares about the work of the kingdom of God, then start putting your money in it and you'll begin to care. And I think what I wanted to get to is like put enough money to where you're going to care. Yeah. <laughs> like that's the that's yeah. the whole thing. Because I don't want p- people to trick themselves into this idea that I can give uh, 1% of my income to a thing and all of a sudden I'm going to start caring a ton about yeah. that thing. Yeah. Like, I think you've got to feel it a little yeah. bit in order to get to the place to where you truly care about being generous in that way. Which would make sense, the reference to Jesus, right. that he gave it all up. Yeah. Like, he didn't just give a little bit, yeah, that he right. sacrificed. Like, the right. the gap of what you're trying to get us to understand of what he left or what he became. Yeah. So, Paul uses one line. Right. One. Yeah. And he expects you to know what he is saying. <laughs> like, that's how incredible yeah. he thinks of what Jesus has done. Yeah. And it was like, I'm going to say this one thing, and they're going to get it because I've already told them all the other things that you had to list off right. to remind us of. Like, yeah. And I think that's part of it. We just don't have a proper view and perspective of 
really what Jesus has done for me, mm. right? Which is when we go back to our Roman stuff was sitting so long in the bad, it made the good so much better. Yeah. When I really look at Jesus gave everything up for the entirety of humanity, like that he left heaven <laughs> to come to earth. That seems, and he's now marred forever with these scars, like even in this resurrected state. And I'm like, man, y'all, like that is the picture. And so Paul uses one line right. and blows and, me away. And again, for many, uh, it's easy for us, for many of us to just think about, well, Jesus was always poor. Like he grew <laughs> up in a peasant family. Like we do the Christmas story every year. We always talk about Jesus is mm. poor. They couldn't even afford to write sacrifice at the temple. He was poor because we only picture Jesus starting in Bethlehem. And so we have to back up. And I think that's the part that Paul assumes everybody has in their mind that that I tried to make sure we back up and say, no, 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 he was rich. He had it all. He is God. He was God. He, everything belonged to him and he willingly gave that up. So and was willing, we, yeah. had, we had to put 20 lines in there yeah. to try to expound just on that point. <clears throat> but again, it's so important. Like you said, he was willing to leverage everything he had because that was the only way it was going to take it, right? It's the only way it's going to work. And so that's the same thing for us is like, that's that sacrificial piece, yeah. like, which that's why Paul connects those dots. Mm-hmm. I'm sure of it. And so I think if we can keep that in your reference point of, even if I'm just doing it for Jesus, yeah. it's enough, mm-hmm. right? Like all the other way, maybe that's, maybe you can't get there. Maybe it is some of the distrust, the lack of your know, church. Like we talked about last week, church leaders have not been awesome in this. Yeah. Maybe it's just, you know what? I, I can't not do this because my life has been radically transformed. So I'm going to do this mm-hmm. and whatever happens on the end of the results, I, I'm going to leave that to God. Yep. But I am, and it is an, maybe it is an obligation too. Like I just am so overwhelmed by what Jesus has done for my life and all the good I have. I, I really do ask myself, how could I not? Right. Is really more the question that I look at and go, how could I not be generous? Because everything in my life is because of what Jesus has done. Like everything. And that framework goes into Giving, so it is much more a like, and we'll talk about it is cheerful. It mm-hmm. is is more uh, an experience of worship. It truly is like, God, you've done so much for me. How could I not? You're asking me for this. What seems like a again? I'm not gonna. It's not a huge amount. You know, I don't want to discount the amount, but like, it's not all of it. He's not asking for everything. Right. You know, and neither are we. So uh, yeah, I think just that proper framework. And so I hope that's what people walked away with yesterday. Is yeah what Jesus has really done for them. And if you aren't sure of it, go back and listen to the first five weeks of Romans and remind yourself. <laughs> the, yeah. The value of what he gave up, like it, we can't even comprehend. No. And so the it, it just makes that, to your point, makes the perspective of what he's asking me to give up for the sake of others. It just pales in comparison. So, I should be more than eager to be given, willing to give up anything and everything that he asked me to because of what he was willing to give up for me. So yeah. that was the end of the, that was kind of the point. Yeah, that's really good. I think that's a good enough place to land the plane for today. Anything else? Hey, lean in. 
join the conversation. We want you guys to be a part of this podcast with us. So help us drive the conversation, ask some questions, and uh, yeah, let's make this the best it can be. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, awesome. awesome. Thanks, guys. Talk again real soon. All right. Well, that is a wrap on today's episode of Becoming Better. We're so glad you joined us today. One quick reminder, if you didn't hear it on Sunday, we will be hosting what we're calling an Advanced Commitment Night on September 14th. Advanced Commitment Night is an opportunity for all who call Quad City home, all who are excited and engaged in this Excel initiative to come and bring our first fruits as far as our commitment to this Excel uh, initiative, this journey we're on together. It's a night of celebration where our whole church gets to come together at the Finley Toyota Center in Prescott Valley, and we would love to see you there. We know we're a big church spread across multiple campuses and online in all sorts of different services, and this is one of the few opportunities we have to come together as one church body and celebrate what God's doing in and through us. To register for Advanced Commitment Night, just go to our app under the Church Events tab, or just go to the quadcity.church website under Events, and you can register there. Well, thanks again for joining us today. We hope this conversation was fruitful in your walk with and obedience to Jesus, and we can't wait to see you again real soon.